We are going to start a brand new series of reflections and studies today, and that's going to be coming from the book of Ephesians. And so I want to encourage you to be bringing your Bible every week for a long time, because we're going to do Ephesians for the next several weeks. We're just going to kind of go through it verse by verse, and uh, we're going to unpack it in this way. How can what Paul's going to teach us and say to us out of the book of Ephesians apply to our Christian life in ways that we can move forward in the faith, that we can become more like Christ, that we can mature. And so what uh, calling this is uh, there's an app for that, which is hilarious now because my phone died just this week. And I, you know, I've been working on this for a few weeks, and now all of a sudden I'm shopping for a phone, and I've been looking at a bunch of apps but for those of you that still just have phones that talk, you know, that you communicate with, uh, apps are applications. They are little tools that can be uh, put into a smartphone. And uh, you're out somewhere and you don't know exactly where you are. You can press an app uh, for a map and it will show you where you are or you can get your destination plotted out. You're like, well, I think I'd like to have some sushi there's an app for that, and you can press it, and it'll show you restaurants, and you can, like, find the restaurant that you want. Uh, you go, you know what? I was hoping to check out uh, the museum, and I don't know exactly where that is in this part of town. You can click that or any other site of interest. There's all kind of apps for all kinds of applications and concerns and interests. And I'm suggesting to you that the Bible, and specifically over these weeks, the book of Ephesians, has an app for what you need in knowing Christ, following Christ, living for Christ well. And so that's where we're going to go. And today, we're specifically talking about how to activate security. You ever struggle with insecurity? You ever have those moments where you're just feeling very unsettled or maybe unsafe, and you just wish that you could firm it all up a little bit more? There's an app for that. We're going to be talking about that out of Ephesians chapter 1, and we'll begin in verse 1 in just a moment. But let me clarify what we'll be talking about when we're talking about security. Because when we're talking about knowing God through Christ and doing life with Him, and we're talking about security, what we mean by that is that we can become secure in this life. In a number of ways, but we cannot become secure for this life. So right now, I'm in Christ. My heart has been connected to God through the saving work of Christ. And because of that, I feel a great deal of security. I experience a great deal of security. I know where I'm headed when I die. I know that heaven is not my home. I mean, that heaven is my home and earth is not my home. And that I'm just passing through. That I'm a sojourner. I'm a traveler. And therefore, I don't want to get too settled. I need to have kind of a tent mentality for this world because my home is in another place for another time. That also means that uh, the things that are important have more to do with there than here. I can be secure about matters of forgiveness. I don't have to wring my hands and worry Am I going to make the cut when life is over? Am I going to be able to squeak in? 
I'm secure in knowing that my sins have been covered. My sins have been paid for. I am totally forgiven. I am totally blameless, even though you know how screwed up I am. But that, that He has done those works for me, and they haven't been applied to my life. They've been imputed to me by Christ. Now, in this life, there's all kinds of insecurity. Right? We just found that out about a few days ago in Tucson. I mean, you can walk into your Safeway, and some not, you know wacko guy began to just shoot people. So there's no guarantee that somebody can't hurt you. There's no guarantee that you don't leave here today and find yourself in a car accident and get pretty banged up about that. There's no guarantee that, um, you know, things in your marriage are going to be pleasing or things with your kids will be satisfying. Uh, There's all kinds of things that we do not get made secure for, but we are secure in as we're passing through with respect to our ultimate destination. You understand the difference we're talking about? What we're going to be getting into when we get into Ephesians 1 is the little concept called predestination. Uh, How many of you have that figured out? Because we're going to come interview you right now. Predestination, uh, by way of an English word, basically is formed with two parts, pre meaning before, destination, uh, referring to a place that I'm going to go, uh, a place that I'm going to end up. And so what we're talking about is that God has already been at work regarding your destination. That's what predestination is all about. He has already been at work on your behalf to secure your destination. You still follow me? Because we're going to plunge a little further. Make sure you're staying up. Okay. What we're getting into is sovereignty. And sovereignty means that God, if He is God, is over everything. Everything is under God and God's control and God's pleasure and God's prerogatives. So, when we start talking about God's sovereignty in that sense, we have to conclude that everything that takes place, if He's sovereign, is either caused by God or allowed by God. Now, there's some very awful things that happen in this world, and because we know something of the character of God, because of the revelation that comes to us through the Bible, and we know that He's good, We know that he's not about hurting people and messing with their lives and wrecking them and so on like that. But all kinds of stuff like that happens. So there are things that he causes and then there are things that he allows. And when we talk about the things that he allows, it becomes thorny for us. It becomes problematic for us, doesn't it? So it kind of raises the question, uh, how does a holy God and a sinful world coexist? How can bad stuff happen in this world if God is good and if God is holy and if God is all-powerful and if God is sovereign? More specifically, if God is sovereign, then how can he allow sin to not only take place, but how can he allow people to perish? 
How can that happen? Well, that gets us into how he goes about salvation. Because the scriptures tell us that he doesn't want anyone to perish. That it's his desire for people to have life. To be delivered from sin and the condemnation that comes with sin. So how does salvation then take place? Keep walking with me. We're going to get the text in just a minute. There are at least four opportunities or four ways that this can take place. And the first is this. God could say, you know, the world's wicked, the world's evil, the world's fallen, the world's busted. So there's not going to be opportunity for anyone to be delivered from the experience of sin and the penalty of sin and the condemnation that comes to sin. So salvation is for no one. He could have done that, right? Could he have done that? But wait a minute, he's a loving God. He's a gracious God. He's a compassionate God. He's a merciful God. The answer, you had it right. Yes, he can do that. Because mercy is never obligated. The minute you start talking about mercy being obligated, you've stopped talking about mercy. You're talking about something else. You're talking about justice. So here's the deal. We are a sinful people who live in a sinful world. We do busted things that hurt other people and hurt ourselves and defame and insult him. It is well within his prerogatives to have us all be condemned. That would be just. A second option is that he could give an opportunity for all to be delivered, to be saved, to escape condemnation. For whatever reasons, reasons that we don't know and we don't fully understand, God's not taking that option. Now, we know that number one is incorrect because the Bible tells us he saves some. So we know that he didn't choose justice for everybody. He chose that some would be saved. But we also know that all will not be saved. All don't have that opportunity. There have already been millions and billions of people that have lived and died, never heard the gospel, never had an opportunity to respond to it. And there are millions on this planet today that that will be the case for. Well, perhaps then he would intervene and ensure salvation for all. He would just he just intervene and go, OK, I'm, I'm just going to give it, you know, uh, nobody. I'm just going to give blanket mercy to everybody. There's a word for that. It's called universalism. And the Bible is pretty clear about that not being true, because the Bible has many passages that talk about how there is. A place of darkness, and there are those times when God casts people out to darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, any of those three could have happened. I'm contending that none of them did. The fourth is that he could intervene, and he could ensure salvation for some. And that is exactly what he did. Now, the, the, the minute we start talking about that, 
there is something within the human heart that says, but that's not fair. Why would he do that for some and not for all? And I take you back to the point of mercy. Mercy is never obligated. He didn't owe it to any of us to save us, to forgive us, to redeem us, to make us his own, to secure us. Out of his graciousness, out of his compassion, out of his mercy, he did choose to do it with some. And you go, okay, but but how did he go about that some part? Did he use his uh, capabilities to look into the future and see who would live certain kinds of ways and respond to him in certain kinds of ways? And he chose that they would uh, someday be able to hear the gospel, respond to the gospel and become a child of his. He categorically says, no, it didn't happen that way. We're going to read the text in just a minute, Ephesians chapter 1. Rather than before the foundation of the world, before a person was ever created and drew breath, he decided and determined who would know him and who would have salvation. Why? I don't know. That's just what he did. We're told in Exodus 33:19, he holds this prerogative and this right. He says, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. My choice. I get to do it. I'm God. Paul echoed that in Romans 9:15 when he says, for the Lord says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. He gets to choose. And those that he chooses are referred to as elect. Now, back to salvation. Here's the deal. We all fall into one of two categories. Everybody in this room, everybody on this planet. We're all sinners. We're all in... Uh, line for condemnation, we've all broken the will, the ways, and the law of God. And God is going to see that some sinners get mercy and some sinners get justice. That's it. There's two groups of people. In all of time and in all of history, people will fall into one or two categories. God will give mercy to some. He'll give justice to others, and here's what you need to get. No one gets injustice. There's nothing that I just said that's unfair, that's not right, that's not just. Everybody deserves justice, but God, out of his compassion and mercy, chooses that some will get mercy instead of justice. No one gets injustice. Here's what we need to understand about who we are. Because we do not appreciate how busted we are, how broken we are, how much we don't deserve to be redeemed. Most of us just don't get it. 
We think we're pretty good people, especially when we're looking, you know, up and down the row. And I'm certainly better than him or her and those, those kinds of things. But here's the deal. We were created with the ability to be righteous or sinful. We were given that ability at creation. Adam and Eve had that ability. But once they chose sinfulness, once they rebelled and ate of forbidden fruit, they lost, we lost, the ability to be righteous. Now let me talk about ability for a minute. Humans have all kinds of abilities. Uh, it's inherent to who we are that we can be upright, walking on two legs kind of people. We have the ability to inhale uh, air and out of that get oxygen and give our body what it needs in order to function. We have the ability to think and to talk and to communicate ideas and have meaningful exchanges. We have all kinds of abilities. We also have all kinds of limitations. There are a lot of abilities we don't have. Fish have the ability to live in water. We don't have that ability unless we have some kind of mechanical help. Birds have the ability to fly in the sky. We don't have that ability unless we have some kind of mechanical help. There are some things we have ability for. There are some things we don't have ability for. You follow me? And when it comes to matters of righteousness, at one time we had the ability to long for God, to love God, to uh, live with God in perfect, righteous kinds of ways. We lost that ability. We have no ability for righteousness. We have no inclination toward God, toward holiness. Toward righteousness. We have free will to choose according to our desires, but we're not able to desire righteousness. So now you see where free will plays into all of this. Yes, we're free will people that have the ability to choose in almost every way, but with respect to righteousness, we don't have that ability. We cannot and we will not choose righteousness in and of ourselves. You say, is there a verse for that? A uh, couple. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 and 11 tell us, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. No one. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Back it up to the Old Testament, Psalm 14. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good. Not even one. Now, believe it or not, uh, the message I have for you today is good news. Okay, hang on, I'm getting there. But this is a little bit of the bad news before you get to the good news. We're a mess. We're condemned. The future is not secure for us. Except for Christ. So now we're going to get into Ephesians. And we're going to start in the first chapter. 
And as we start talking about the app for that, that we have today, it's, it's that matter of security. Because Christ has come, because Christ died an atoning death on the cross, because Christ rose again and conquered death, he has made it possible for us to be forgiven. He has made it possible for us to be reconciled to God. He has made it possible for us to be adopted. The text we're going to read says you are an adopted son or daughter who has all kinds of benefits as a child of God. And that all this was laid out for you before the foundation of the world. I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's look at the text. Chapter 1, verse 1. So Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus. This is a letter that Paul writes to believers in the region around the city of Ephesus. There are little churches, little house groups and all that kind of stuff all around the city of Ephesus, which was a great city in its day. And so he's in prison at this time, and he's writing them this letter to encourage them in their faith, and he starts off with a salutation and a blessing, and then he starts to bless the Lord. Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. To the praise of his glory. Now, I took you down that depressive road to begin with because I didn't want these words to fall on dead ears. When you put the canopy of blackness of how busted and how broken and how awful it's going to be for us, when you put that behind the, the grace thing that God has done, I hope you could see the brilliance of what Paul was getting at. You have been adopted as a son or a daughter because of Christ. And that means you have every spiritual blessing. Now, our culture doesn't make a, a big deal about spiritual blessings. Our culture makes a whole lot of deal about material blessings. 
Sometimes you get material blessings. But if you're a son or daughter of God, you get every spiritual blessing. God has all kinds of things that he is and will bestow on you and do for you, not just now, but forever. You get all that. I feel like a game show host telling you what you just won. You are holy and blameless. There's no squeaking in. There's no nervousness today. Will I someday cross to the other side where God is? He declares, he imputes, he takes the holiness of of Christ and he puts it on you and he makes you holy. He makes you blameless. Part of what this Christian life is about and part of what the rest of Ephesians is going to show us is how to get our daily living congruent with who he has made us to be. You have redemption. You have been bought back from lostness, from condemnation, from hopelessness. I mean, you guys that are into this football thing, you think uh, Michael Vick had a little redemption this year? Multiply that by a bazillion. And that's what your redemption looks like. Your forgiveness of sin, your restoration, your reconciliation unto him. All of this being in lavish grace. What is grace? Grace is the unmerited stuff, stuff you don't deserve that God just gives to you so that you can do or be whatever he's asking you to do or be. You need wisdom? Grace. You need courage? Grace. You need some direction? Grace. You need some provision? Grace. Lavish grace. Your daddy is rich. And he wants to bless you. And see you on this journey to the destination. Your destination is secure. He's unlocking these mysteries for you. He's allowing you to see some of these things. Friends, what a day for us to live in. There were people that lived centuries, thousands of years, wanting to see what you see. Wanting to know what you know. Wanting to have some grasp of what this whole eternal plan has been about. What's the narrative that we now know in Jesus What a blessed time and place you are to have that mystery unlocked. We'll spend a whole Sunday just talking about that with you in this series. And not only that, you have been sealed. The Holy Spirit has been placed on your heart and sealed all this reality within you. The Holy Spirit is seeking to convince you over and over again of these truths and these realities that are not of this world. The Holy Spirit, the uh, text says, is your guarantee. How do I know that I know that I know that I know that I'm secure and that I'm going to be in in God's hand and in heaven forever? You have a guarantee in your heart that convicts you of that, convinces you of that. It's a good deal. So, why has God done all this? Before you start feeling too good about yourself. Very simply, he's done this to his own praise. See, the most important thing that anybody on this planet needs is God. And when God works gloriously in you, other people take note of him. When God works gloriously in you, 
other people take note of him. Now, his glorious work in you sometimes doesn't look that way in this life. We just saw a video where a couple had a very hard circumstance around a very sick newborn that eventually died. God was all over that. God was gracing them lavishly. They were able to drink that in for all that it was worth. They were able to see, and that was their own testimony, how great and good and glorious God is in that. And now their testimony has shown you how great and glorious God is. And that testimony has been shown in a lot of churches, in a lot of places. Out of their one story, there's a lot of glory for God. But it doesn't always look like what we think glory ought to be looking like. Is this making sense? You get this? Because I'm going to ask you, what are you going to do about this? Because you do have some choice. And if you are one of those that God has been stirring in these moments, or maybe even for these days and weeks, that you need Christ, that Christ is for you, then friends, that's a God thing. That doesn't happen everywhere. It's happening with you. So, will you respond and will you choose Christ? He's giving you a grace. He's giving you an ability to choose Christ. Will you? Will you live in his security? Yeah. I don't know how things are going to turn out for my sister-in-law. A lot of you know that she's battling cancer. Sherry's with her in Nashville right now. They're doing a stem cell transplant this week. Sherry's to Cindy's. And thank you for continuing to pray for them. But we don't know how it's going to turn out for Cindy. But she's secure. Not for this world. She may not have health for this world. She may not have years for this world. But she's secure in the journey through this world to the destination. Will you live in that security? And not be so plagued by all the stuff that swirls around us with our culture and what our culture esteems as, as most important and, and urgent and all those kinds of things. Will you live for his glory. See, if that's what it's all about, then if I'm living for anything else, I'm missing it. I'm off track. Are you living for his glory in your workplace? Are you living for his glory where you work out and do, and, and do recreation stuff? Are you living for his glory in your neighborhood or your cul-de-sac? Are you living for his glory within your home and with your family? Are you living for his glory through this faith community? Will you do that? I mean, you're a son. You're a daughter. You have this incredible inheritance. You have all these lavish blessings. You have the ability to choose. Let's pray. Father, you've given us some um, weighty things to think about in these moments. And I know there's a friend somewhere in here that is just uh, kind of halfway listening and then picked up some stuff and it just sounded crazy. And I just pray that your spirit would be at work 
to help that individual to make some sense or to, to listen to this again at some point. For others of us, Father, we're moved with gratitude regarding your mercy. Who in the world are we? We're nobody. We don't deserve a thing. And you have been so gracious, so compassionate, so generous. So we confess we love you for that. We are committed to you. We will live for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.